Okay, I'm going to podcast from my vehicle outside the Starbucks. Um, and actually, this I have a, an idea, so I'm just going to give it away. But it's very nascent, so um, don't expect too much. But maybe if the uh, four people who listen to this podcast can uh, help me think through it, we can come up with something based on the little sort of kernel of insight that I had. I was reading, by the way, um, Sarah Lacey, I think, is really a good writer on Silicon Valley stuff, startups. And I was reading for the book, for my book, I was, I'm reading a lot of um, historical accounts of how, for instance, Web 2.0 came about. Um, and I started thinking about dig these early sites. Dig was a site by, uh, I think Kevin Rose. Um, it was a really simple idea. It was basically, uh, you, everybody digs, like I dig it, dig stories. And the most digs get put on get promoted to the front page of dig.com. And so you see basically what, if not the entire, you know, internet is, is, is like, is, is interested in, or is, you know, captivating the imagination of, of yeah, at least the, the universe of dig users, you see what is interesting. So you get up in the morning, there's some, something that everybody's digging. And then, so you're getting the news that way. And that was a really radical idea, actually. Um, it was one of the first sort of web 2.0 ideas where people realized that you can like this, the signals don't necessarily have to be from web pages. So just a little bit of background on how this works. Um, so it, Google was the company, Google, well, you know, Page and Sergey Brin, of course, were the first, arguably, arguably the first to realize that the internet had an, a, a link structure that communicated authority or relevance. And so you have a page and then you have a page that links to that page and then you have a page that links to the page that links to the page. And if you recursively, in other words, if you've traced that through, you can, um, basically compute a, um, an authority score. So, um, it tells you through the link, the HTML link structure of the World Wide web, it sort of tells you, uh, what everybody thinks is the best page on you know, cooking with turnips or whatever it happens to be, whatever the, whatever it happens to be. And so that was a, that was a, uh, in its, in that form, it was actually just a web, you know, it wasn't a web 2.0 idea. It was just a very, very, uh, quite brilliant, frankly, under, uh, way of, of capturing, um, the, uh, of addressing the problem of search, and so you've got this problem where the web is growing and you've got to come up with an, it's growing exponentially in the late nineties and you need to come up with an algorithm that can grow with it. And if you use the, the algorithms, the search algorithms before Google were getting worse as the web got larger, 
they were getting worse. So they had an inverse relationship between these, the number of pages on the World Wide Web and the accuracy of search results for those pages. And, but the, the reason the, the pay, that Larry Page and Sergey Brin were, in my view, like probably the two great innovators of the World Wide Web besides maybe Tim Berners-Lee, <laughs> who invented it, right? Like, I suppose you'd put him at the top, but they are probably next in line, is that they actually, they really understood how to harness the growth of the, the, the explosive growth of the web so that their search relevance actually increased as the number of web pages on the web increased, right? And so... It didn't matter. It, in fact, they had, they were cheerleaders for the web getting larger and larger and larger, faster and faster and faster, because that just meant there were going to be more and more links to, to pages, to links to pages, to links to pages. And PageRank, as it came to be called, would just keep working better and better and better uh, because it, it gets more and more information as the web gets larger. And so I think that, like, that was the, the thing that made the web that was the foundation upon which the modern web that we're all using was really built was that, was that insight. So what happened in web 2.0 is people started thinking about people instead of web pages. They started thinking like, okay, I'm going to follow this person. I'm not going to follow this website. That was web 1.0, right? I'm going to follow this person. And so there was, there was a proliferation of, startup companies between about 2002 and 2006 that all that had this idea of um that were that was basically person centered one offshoot of that was user generated content where people started writing blogs and they started actually you know the re- the web as Andreessen Mark Andreessen the venture capitalist also you know he he's co- co-founded net netscape and uh um, with uh, Jim Clark, the famous Jim Clark. Okay, uh, Andreessen put it, Web 1.0 was just read-only, right? And you can even you can even include Google in this if you think about Google was not read-write, right? But Web 2.0 was read-write. So read-only to read-write. So all of a sudden, the, the users on the web... Are not, they're not just making web pages and growing the web. They're actually contributing content specifically, right? They're writing blogs. They're writing comments. They're liking things, right? So you're getting all these signals from users, and the web is becoming more focused around not the pages but the people. And so Dig was one of the first sites that captured this idea that it's not the page that we're looking at. It's actually the number of likes, and that's a, that's a human signal. What's interesting, by the way, is the Google PageRank algorithm is a human signal as well, because when you link to another web page, that's a vote for the web page, right? But it's it's sort of behind the scenes in Google. In Dig, there's a little button, and you say, "I dig it," right? So now you've, you're exposing the sort of strong person signal in the web. So what happened, roughly? I used to just agonize over this. Um, I spent years trying to understand how to get around this. But what happened was the web became a kind of rule by mob, as we all know, right? So when, when Plato 
uh, you know, talks about democracy. He talks about the democracy as a rule by a mob. And so there's this old, old idea in philosophy that uh, you, you want everyone to have a voice, but it's very dangerous. It can be very dangerous for everyone to have a voice. And so there are conditions under which everyone having a voice leads to good outcomes. And then there are conditions under which everyone having a voice leads to mob rules. And what happened on the web was the popularity signal started to swamp the quality signal so that what ended up on the front page of dig sometimes would be spurious and just, you know, zany and, you know, stupid, right? But it had, but, but the signal, so the signal started to become rule by mob, like mob rules, right? The signal started to become pure popularity. And so the question was like, how do you have web 2.0 but ensure that the signal is tracking authority, not purely popularity. And that question like obsessed me <laughs> for so many years and I'm still obsessed by it actually. And what's funny is now that we're, you know, circa 2022, um, you know, you can see the, you can see the deleterious results of that, that early thinking. Um, so now we have a problem that no one really saw in, you know, as web 2.0 took off in 2002, 2003, 2004, really between 2004 and 2006 was really when things really, really took off with web 2.0. The idea that you would have a problem with misinformation, that you would have an extreme, um, you know, problem with uh, verifying that something was authentic or reliable or not conspiracy theory, etc. That idea was still up ahead. It wasn't really in the minds of the innovators, the entrepreneurs back then. The idea was that we needed to open up the web. Uh, and, you know, that was a fantastically successful project. Look at Wikipedia was one of the great success stories. Nobody thought that was possible. They thought that the information would degrade and there are problems with Wikipedia, but by and large it was, I mean, by all accounts, it was a successful, uh, uh project, but we didn't anticipate, right? So you, you can, you have a problem with a popularity signal, but misinformation the spreading of lies. Um, this kind of thing is a, you know, I call it a poison network. It's when the network actually poisons itself because it's actually, it's not, it's not only just promoting spurious or silly information, which was the kind of what the worry, you know, that I had in the two thousands, you know, up into the 2010s and many other people started asking this question, how do we get by this problem of popularity? Um, but that, that's not a poison network yet. That's just, uh, you know, the high school, <laughs> everybody voting in the most popular, uh, person for class president, right? I mean, it's not the end of the world. Um, or, and there's some sense in which popularity is a real signal. That just means what everybody likes. And so, it, well, of course, if people lack some sort of intellectual sophistication or some, you know, insert some snobby comment there, then the popularity signal might lead you to 
some some really zany stuff or irrelevant stuff in the broader perspective, but it's not going to poison the network to do that. Uh, you just might not sit. You might not surface the you know the best content on some topic or topics, but the poison network problem surfaced um, in the two thousand in the two thousand tens after Web two point was firmly established, and um, that's a real problem. That's a problem where you have a you have a two sided coin. On the one hand, you have actual information that's not surfacing, right? So you, you you actually have information that's valid and useful and and desired would be desired by many people, but they can't get to it now because it's censored and so on, or it's it's not promote you know it's demoted by search engines like Google and so on. And yes, this happens. Um, interesting, just as an aside, one of the reasons, one of the ways you know that the information space is so poisoned today is that. Even when I mention that Google demotes some uh, articles, some articles based on some topics, uh, people will often just knee-jerk reaction think that I'm some right-wing lunatic just because I said something true. And it's true. They do, right? But that's what, you know, It unfortunately, that's what some conspiracy theorist would also say so that so by sheer coincidence because i'm saying it based on veracity in research and you know firsthand experience and someone else is saying it based on whatever i don't know by sheer coincidence i you know you end up sort of getting lumped in and that's a sign that the information space is really poisoned uh and so that's one side of the coin. You can't get at information that you would, that you, you know, counterfactually would have wanted to see, but you just can't find it anymore. Um, and then, of course, you're on the other side, you're getting information that's not, that's, 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 that's not reliable. You're getting information, entire communities are getting exposed to information that's just not effing true. Um, and they can, for some, for whatever reason, there's not an epistemic signal there that the, you know, there's not a, there's not a way of separating that false information or misinformation or disinformation from real, uh, real reliable information. And so those are two sides of a poison network, right? And so this is one of the problems that web 2.0 sort of gave birth to, but it was it was latent, right? It took years uh, for this problem to really surface in its current guise, and now it's quite clear that it's it's a major problem. So the idea that I have is, um, okay, this is really going to be difficult to state. I guess I'll say it in the dumb form, and then let people, if they feel like it, they can ponder it on their own. You can say that some, you could, you could for, okay, suppose that you want to post, let's just hypothetically say, we'll set up a, a, a company XYZ and, and we'll say that you can post keywords to that, um, to the page, to the web page of this company. You can post keywords, keywords that you're interested in. Those are like topics, right? So you post some keywords, something about the pandemic, you post the keywords and then anybody can, anybody can post articles to those keywords as they desire. 
And everybody has a chance to say whether it's reliable information or not. You just add that instead of the dig button, which by the way, you can also have the popularity button. Like I like this. You, you can have a, you can have three buttons. You can have, this is relevant to the keywords. Um, this is reliable information relative to the keywords. And I like it personally. I like it. Right. So if you, so now you have this problem, suppose that gets hijacked by a, a huge number of people that, so you have this on your, say your iPhone and you just log into the site and you see these articles and you can see the, re, you can see the, the, whether they're reliable or not, because people are posting, people are do you, there's a button for saying it's reliable. So how do you know it's reliable though? How do you know that the app didn't get hijacked itself? I think you would use something like Google's uh, recursive structure. So I, you're actually, now let's look at the people, not the pages. So I'm gonna say, let's say my friend gives me a page and I, I, um, I, when I read the page, I say it's reliable while well, he's my friend. Uh, so, you know, there's a high likelihood they'll do that, but say, let's say somebody gives me a page and when I, when I say that that, that person is reliable. so. Imagine a universe of people where you have a recursive link structure of reliability. Basically what's going to happen is, so I'm reliable because somebody said I was reliable and somebody else said they were reliable and somebody else said that they were, they were, they were reliable and so on. And so at some point you're going to get basically, you're going to get something like the Google link structure for reliability in this universe of discourse, right? In this, in this, within the con, within this app. And then you can see, by the way, who's reliable because you can expose the person as, a, as an object, right? In this, the person is the point, right? Like you're, when you're reading the content, you're voting on the person. You're saying, okay, who posted these, who posted this to these keywords? Okay. Like then you read the article and whoever posted it owns it. So if it's reliable by your judgment, then that person gets a vote for reliability. And that's how, that's how that works, right? So the person is accumulating reliability points. Now you could introduce something like badges. So you have super users that everyone agrees are always, you know, rely, they're reliably reliable. You could, that's an old idea. It still has legs. Um, you could also have something like a Wikipedia model where, you know, when there's a dispute on Wikipedia, you have a wiki, a wiki is a great piece of software, right? So when, when somebody puts, some contestable information in Wikipedia, there's a process by which somebody can complain and say, that's not true. And then they have to produce evidence to say that it's true. And there's some ground truth. I'm not actually sure. I have to research how Wikipedia resolves these issues, but it's done so fairly successfully to date. So I would say you could use in the same vein, you could use something like this. There's some sort of way of complaining if somebody's getting a high reliability score. Uh, okay, I'm gonna dis, you know, I'm gonna sort of in in, a, in true Karl Popper fashion, I'm gonna disprove that that they're highly reliable. But I have to produce something <laughs> that actually, and so there has to be a ground truth. It might be like some media site that everybody agrees says that something's reliable or not, right? But the but we, and those sorts of details, I'm sure, can be hammered out. The key point, though, is that the mechanism for popularity, which is just clicking a button, ought to work 
if you know if you expose people in this like recursive structure like i was saying that ought to work for reliability with the caveat that you have some mechanism for complaining if something goes wrong if it gets hijacked somehow somehow right um and so i was thinking like if that worked and it got it reached a critical mass of users people would go there and read the news on whatever the keywords are that get you know somebody posts keywords and Look, I want to know what's going on with, I don't know. I don't read the news enough to actually have an example, (laughs) but like, I'm sort of fundamentally uninterested in what's happening in the world most of the time, but I'm sure there's some very hot button issues out there. And that's what I want to know about. So somebody's sure to post those keywords because it's a hot topic on Twitter and so on and so forth. Um, but at some point, if that, if that site worked correctly, that would be the go-to place to read what what every reliable person is saying about it and it would be the way to quash a misinformation campaign right and so i think that site and i'm thinking about this now on straight up on a smartphone on an iphone or android and it's just an application it's an app that you just log in and you're in and you you have some you know there's some requirement to have your identity on there, but it need not even be, you could, you know, you can even have a false name, I suppose. It's not, it's probably not necessary to actually have your, who you are in the real world. You've just got to demonstrate reliability in the context of that application. I think that would be a really cool app. Um, that's as far as I've got with it. So, um, usually I go 30 minutes on podcasting. Um, I think I'm going to have to cut it there. So this one's a little shorter.